with that, we're in a series. Uh, Chad did a great job last week kicking off our series into Acts. And the whole point of us studying through Acts is to look at what the early church was like. What did the early church do? How did they respond? How did they react in different situations? So then we can look at our church and say, man, like, how do we be like that? Right, church has changed a lot over the years, even from when I grew up in church and to where we are now. I mean, we are having church in a warehouse. Things have changed and that's okay. But there's some parts of church and some parts of Christian living that, that doesn't change. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking at the early church in Acts and trying to see what did they value? What, did they, what were they attentive to? And let's be in the same position as them. So with that, if you've got your Bibles, we're gonna be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're actually gonna start at the end of the story that we're gonna be looking at today. Acts chapter 16, the end of the story is in verse 34. We're told, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household, and say this word with me, what did they do? They rejoiced. Okay, hang on. When we say words like praise and rejoice and celebrate, you can't say rejoice. It just, you miss something in translation. So he brought everybody into his house and he and his entire household, they rejoiced. That's much better. They rejoiced. Here's why. Because they all believed in God. They all believed in God. That's a great reason to rejoice. That's a great reason to celebrate. And there's a lot that's gonna happen that's gonna lead us up to that word rejoice. So that's what we're gonna look at for the rest of our time. But before we get there, let's talk about that word, rejoice. The original Greek word there is actually two words shoved together. The word much and the word jump. Isn't that great? Rejoice literally means much jump. So you can think about the things that make you much jump. The things that you get excited about, you come out of your seat, you come out of your chair. We were watching the Clemson game last night and it didn't happen at all in the first half. But the second half, there was much jump. There was a lot of much jump. Auburn fans, not much jump. I'm sorry. Georgia fans, there was more, much jump, right? So you could start to see the, the things in our life that we get excited about, the things that we come out of our seat for. Now you also recognize, those of you that are more experienced in life, that was a nice way of saying the old people here, they have a much different perspective, right? And I mean this truly, where early on, when you were a kid, the things that made you much jump, the things you got excited about, the things that you would celebrate are very different the later you get on in life, right? It was not that long ago that I had much jump, that I was so excited. In fact, I even texted, we have a friend group and I'm texting my wife and I'm showing her pictures. I went and bought the first one that I've ever had. It was an electric tree trimmer, the electric one. Like up until this point, we've had the manual clippers, right? So anytime that we needed to like trim off any of the tree branches or we needed to like shape some of our shrubs, I had to use these big shears and it's exhausting and we never did it. And I was like, you know, what? I'm tired of this. I'm an adult. I can go and get an electric one. So I went and got an electric. It's changed my life. I was trimming not just our house, our neighbor's houses. The trees that didn't need to be trimmed were getting trimmed. It was great. I was excited. And I remember my kids like, why are that excited about that. Like you get excited about different things as you get older. One of the best Christmas gifts my in-laws have ever given our family was a shop vac. It was brilliant. It was great. Out of all the things that my in-laws could have gotten me, they got us a shop vac. And I'm like, this is great. So thrilled. 
over something 20, 30 years ago, I would have been like, really? That, that's, what we're, that's what we're getting? That's, I can't celebrate that. The same thing happens in our spiritual lives. The more mature we get spiritually, the things we celebrate begin to also change and also mature. So at some time in our spiritual lives, we feel like we can just celebrate God and we can just praise God when we have something tangible to thank him for. Only in those moments where he shows up in a mighty way, those miracle moments. And if those are absent, if, if God is not answering the way that you want him to answer those prayers, oftentimes we say, well, I can't praise God then. He hasn't done anything for me yet. And what I'm hoping we can see today is, yes, today is Celebration Sunday, but it's not just celebrating what God has done. It's celebrating who God is. And I want us to be a church, and we're going to see this in the early church as well, in the early believers, that they didn't just celebrate what God did. Most certainly, that needs to be celebrated. I'm not minimizing it, but you've got to remember the other parts. It's not just what God does for us. It's also who he is to us. And that's what we see the early church do well. They celebrate what he has done, but they never forget who he is. And church, I hope, I truly hope we will always be a church that will always have something to praise God for. Not necessarily because of what he does, but because of who he is, and that never changes. So that's what we're gonna see. We see them rejoicing over something that happened, but prior to that word rejoice we read there, we're gonna see a lot of things leading up and it doesn't all look like things worth celebrating. So that's where we're gonna dig in. So let's go to the rest of chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, we're gonna start in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, we'll obviously have the verses on the screens, but there's something about seeing it in context and being able to write in it, circle things, take notes. So if you don't have a Bible, you can do that with. There's Bibles right outside this door. Uh, there's a stack of them. If you don't have one, take one. That's yours. That's our gift to you. Wanna make sure that you can not just read God's word, but study it, be in it uh, throughout the week as well. So here's what's happening. Let me give you a little context in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they're on what we would call a missionary journey. You heard part of that from Chad last week as, as they were traveling, Paul was traveling into Athens. So this is prior to that. They're in a town called Philippi. And as they're in Philippi, they're, they're encouraging new believers. They're telling people about Jesus. They, they in fact start and plant a church in this area. So they're doing a lot of great things and God is showing up. One of the things that they do actually causes some some problems in the, the town. They end up healing a slave girl who was demon possessed. And some people think that's a great thing, like, man, way to help her. But if you read in context, you'll notice that some people were not too pleased with that. And that actually caused a little bit of a riot. Here's where we're gonna pick it up. After they have been spreading the good news about Jesus, planting a church, and now they healed a demon possessed girl, verse 19 out of chapter 16, here's the scene. Her, talking about this demon-possessed girl, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. So much for doing something good. Verse 20, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. So a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them, put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Beaten, stripped, 
thrown into prison, thrown into the inner dungeon of the prison, and feet locked in stocks. Doesn't seem like a story that is going to end with that word rejoice. At this point, it doesn't look like there's much to jump up about. Doesn't seem like there's much to celebrate. There's nothing to praise God for. If we only base our praise of God on what he's doing for us the way that we want it, at this point, there's nothing worth praising God for. There's nothing that we might say is worth celebrating. But Paul and Silas have a mature faith. They see things differently. And as you grow in your faith, you also grow in how and what you celebrate. We're going to see that with them. Here's what happens next. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were two things, praying and singing hymns to God or praising God. They were praying and they were praising and the other prisoners were listening. That's a mature faith, isn't it? That's different. That's something that we probably don't naturally think of while midnight sitting in prison with feet clamped in stocks. The first two things that come to my mind are not praying and praising. The first two things that come to my mind are complaining and sleeping. What do you do if you're in jail at midnight? You complain about being in jail and you sleep because it's midnight. Paul and Silas have a very different outlook. They say, no, 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 we're going to pray and we are going to praise. We talked a lot about prayer all last month. In September, we did a series on prayer, dove into the different sides of prayer. So we're not gonna talk a ton about that here today, but bottom line, praying is one way we humble ourselves before God. We humble ourselves by saying, God, here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what's going on. We share with God. But at the end of those prayers, we say, but God, it's about you. It's your will, not my wants. So there's actually an exchange that takes place in our prayer life. God, here's what I want. Here's what I need. But I trust you. So the act of prayer, especially in this environment, is an act of humility and an act of trust in God. But let's talk more about the, the praise piece. Praise, literally this idea of singing hymns to God and praising God, we tend to think just of music, which that is definitely part of it. It's why that's a big piece of what we do every Sunday. But even in the songs that we sing, it's not just telling God who he is so that God feels good about himself. No, praising God is not for God. We praise God to elevate God above ourselves. Literally, that's what praise God means, to elevate God. And if you take God out of it, we can praise all kinds of things. We praise other people by elevating them. We hold them up. We praise certain attributes by holding that attribute up or that character trait above all other attributes. So anytime there's praise given, that person, that characteristic, that item or that thing is elevated above all other things. So for Paul and Silas, as they're sitting in jail, that's what they're doing. They're humbling themselves before God and they're elevating God above everything else. I even love that image there. If you think of how you might have grown up to pray, you fold your hands, you close your eyes. And what's the third thing we're supposed to do if you were, grew up in Sunday school? You bow your head. Now, I'm not really making fun of it because it's helpful, one, for kids to remove distractions, even helpful for us as adults. But the symbolic act of bowing your head in prayer is a symbolic act of humility. So as we pray to God, it's not the act of bowing our heads. It's the symbolic gesture and posture of our heart. It says, God, as I pray to you and share my wants and my desires with you, ultimately, I trust you. And then think about what we often do during praise. We raise our hands. 
we raise our hands not because we're supposed to or not because this is the way that this song requires that. No, we praise God in a symbolic act and a heart posture of, God, as I sing this song, I am elevating you. I am lifting you up. I am pushing you up above everything else. So what a great image of Paul and Silas in prison at midnight, humbling themselves in prayer and lifting God up through praise. That's what they're doing. And again, that's what we are called to do. If we are gonna praise God as we're talking about celebrating God, lifting him up, that's the whole point, is to elevate God above anything else. As we elevate him, he gets our praise. Now, Paul and Silas are dealing with this, and we deal with a variety of situations, maybe not the exact same thing, maybe, but bottom line is there's always other things in our lives. These can be good things. These can be not so good things. And in a perfect world, all these other things go below God. That keeps God the most elevated thing in our life. So when we praise, he's the only one getting our praise. The problem though is oftentimes we get this backwards. We mix this up where something happens good or bad and it gets elevated above God. When this other thing, when anything else gets elevated above God, it begins to get praise or even limit some of our other praise. So meaning, let's say that other thing is a great thing, right? There's something going on in your life and you are just so thankful. It has been a huge blessing. All of a sudden you start talking more about that thing than God. You start making decisions because, well, we don't wanna lose this. So all of a sudden you have reordered who gets your praise and something else has now gotten your praise over God. Something is elevated above God. What happens when this is a negative thing? It's a tragedy, it's a loss, it's a struggle, it's a trial, it's part of suffering. When we start to elevate the negative above God, we feel like we can't praise God because this is happening. Right? We often can walk in and say, no, 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 God, I, I can't lift my hands today. I can't elevate you today. I can't praise you today because I've got some real problems going on in my life. So God, if you want me to praise you, then you've got to fix these. And all of a sudden, because we've reordered what's elevated in our lives, we now use praise as a bargaining chip with God. God, you're not going to get my praise until you fix that thing right there. That thing is more important than you. And so if you want to be number one again, then you better fix this. Now, we don't probably say that, but in our heart, that's what's happening. But again, praise is not for God. Praise is for us to humble ourselves in prayer and to praise him and elevate him. So for most of us, when we read this story, we're like, how in the world can they praise God? How can Paul and Silas praise God when they are in prison after they've been beaten? That's how we view it. I don't know how they could do that because this is above that. But what we see Paul and Silas do, again, this comes with a, a faith that has grown over time, that comes with maturity over time, is yes, this is happening. They are in prison. They have been beaten. They're not ignoring it. They're like, no, 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 that's not happening. Let's praise God anyway. No, they recognize, they're living it. But what they've been able to do is keep God at the very top. So yes, there are some other things in our life, good and bad, but we keep God at the very top. That's why Paul and Silas, in the midst 
of prison at midnight, they are able to pray and sing hymns, not because it's not existent, but because God is elevated higher. That's why we can do the same thing. We can praise God in the midst of suffering. That suffering is real, but God is elevated higher. We can praise God in the midst of loss. That loss is real, but it's not above God. Those struggles and those trials and those issues and those problems that we all face, those are real and we have to work through them. That's God gives us strength to walk through them, but they're not elevated above God. Praise is to elevate God, not our situations over God. Another way to think of it would to be to say it like this. Praising God would say, this is not a, a complete statement, but hopefully it'll help you just think of it a little bit differently. Praising God is saying, God is infinitely good and loving. There is nothing above God. God is infinitely good. He is infinite loving. It does not say I'm happy about my current situation. So when you walk into church on a Sunday morning and we praise God and we say things like, God, you're not done yet. And God, you are so good. When we say, God, you are so loving, that doesn't mean, oh yeah, and I'm super happy about everything else going on in my life. No, you can praise God and say, I'm in a really tough spot. I can praise God and say, I'm not happy about my relationship status right now. I can praise God and I can be struggling because we keep God elevated above all things. Not if this is starting to make sense. Nodding, most of you, some of you. If not, keep reading through Acts, you'll figure it out. God is infinitely good, not I'm just happy. Before we move out of this one verse, I want to highlight just this last section. So it's at midnight, they're praying and praising. And do you remember without going back and looking, do you remember what else was happening there? Somebody was listening. The other prisoners were listening in. This is not how the world operates. So when you begin to operate this way, it looks a little goofy. It looks a little funny. You're going to come across a little weird. Why can I praise God while dealing with difficulties? How can I still celebrate God and have joy in my life in the midst of loss and struggle? That looks weird to our world. So just embrace the weirdness. For Paul and Silas, this looks weird. All these other prisoners are, why are you singing him? Why are you praising God? Do you, we're in the same jail, right? Like, in fact, you're probably, Paul and Silas would have been in a worse spot, center of the dungeon with their feet clamped in stocks. So because of their weirdness, they got the attention of others. The prisoners noticed and they were listening in. Man, just let that fact sink in for a second. That as you praise God, people notice. People pay attention with how you live your life. Paul and Silas had been walking around town telling of the truth of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. Sometimes that good news and that truth can't take root in people's hearts until they see you live it out. So we can talk about it a lot. Paul and Silas were talking about the truth of Jesus a lot. But I think something started to happen when they were in prison, still celebrating. Oh, you really believe what you say. You really mean it. Like that wasn't, that wasn't just for show. Like this is really how you live your life and other people begin to notice and listen in. As you know, the hurricane has just, man, uh, destroyed many parts of Florida. And uh, happened to, I do not know this, this gentleman personally, um, but through mutual friends, there's a pastor in Sanibel, Sanibel Island. He pastors Sanibel Community Church. 
And I just want to read uh, with you. It's a little bit long. I'm going to put it up here so you can kind of follow along. But he wrote um, on Facebook, because uh, not able to obviously preach and not able to meet together, uh, he wrote a letter to his church family. Uh, I want to read the beginning part, and then I'm going to skip to the end. And I want you to see how this relates to what Paul and Silas were doing. Here it is, from Sanibel Community Church, uh, from Pastor Jeremy. Dear Sanibel Community Church, it's Sunday morning, October 2nd, 4.30 a.m. I'm writing this from a hotel bathroom so as not to wake my wife. I couldn't have imagined a week ago that this is where I would be today. Normally on a Sunday morning, I would be waking up around 5.30 a.m. or so, head out, for, head out for a beach walk with my poodle to pray and think through the sermon I had spent all week preparing. This Sunday in particular would have been the beginning of a new series, sermon series in Daniel, followed by the Lord's Supper in our last one service gathering. They had been growing. They were getting ready to go to two services. But instead, I'm sitting in a hotel, a hotel bathroom. I don't have a house. My earthly possessions can now fit in my truck. I cannot go to my favorite beach. I have no idea when I will preach again in my pulpit on Sanibel to my beloved congregation. And no, I didn't get around to studying Daniel much this week. Where are you this morning? He goes on, I won't read the rest of the middle section. He goes on to talk about how God is our refuge. And no matter what we go through, God continues to provide and God is still good. No matter the circumstance, he's telling his church, God is still who we go to. The last part, I wanna read that as well as he ends this letter to his church. He writes, on Wednesday as the storm raged, he was remembering back, on Wednesday, as the storm raged, I was sitting in a mall in Boca Raton trying to get internet. One of the stores had a TV with news coverage on the storm. Starved for information, I walked over to watch with a few others. We started talking, and I told them I was a Sanibel refugee. The strangers around me stood in shock as I described what little I knew was happening on the island. The conversation ended, and I returned to my computer. A few minutes later, one of the store employees came over and said, quote, I'm sorry, but I just have to ask, why are you so calm? You're losing everything, yet you seem so nonchalant, end quote. It was a funny question because I didn't feel calm or nonchalant, yet that's what he perceived. So I started to explain, well, I'm a Christian and I pastor a church, but I didn't get to finish my sentence. His face lit up and he said, of course you have God. I got it. It all makes sense. And he walked away smiling. I bet there are a lot of conversations like that waiting for us in the coming weeks and months. I pray today that wherever you are, you may take time to sit beside the river of God and be filled with his peace and then take his word, his gospel, and his love to a helpless and hopeless world that's still sinking. Love in Christ, Pastor Jeremy. People notice when you live your life like this, when you elevate God above all things, people notice. And for that gentleman to have an opportunity to say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm part of a church and, oh, I get it. But I loved his challenge to his church that, we are all going to have a lot of these conversations and opportunities in the coming weeks and months that how his church specifically, those people as part of his church body, how they respond to a devastation like a hurricane, it doesn't mean I'm super happy about everything that's happening today. But it does mean that God's above it all. And when we live our life like that, people notice. 
people begin to ask questions. And we have an opportunity to do what Paul and Silas are about to do next. So here they are in jail at midnight, praying and praising, and people are listening. Verse 25, verse 26, I'm sorry. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Just quick context, if prisoners escaped on your watch as a soldier, then your life was forfeited. So he knew he would die, so he was gonna die by his own sword. That's the context there. Verse 28, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. Now, there's a miracle that happens here. I see two. The first miracle is the obvious one that they're praying and they're praising God. And then all of a sudden there's an earthquake and somehow that earthquake through God, it doesn't just shake the foundation of the prison. It opens the doors and it allows all the chains on every single prisoner to come unlocked. Like earthquakes don't do that. So that's a God thing. There's a miracle there. But for me, the bigger miracle, cause I can kind of explain that away. Yeah, God is supernatural. God can do all things. Of course, God can cause doors to open and chains to come off. I believe that with all my heart. It is not hard for me to believe that. What's hard for me to believe is for Paul to say, we're all here. Like that's for me, the bigger miracle. Like, what do you mean you're all here? Not just Paul and Silas, but every single prisoner in that jail said, we're not going anywhere. We're gonna stay right here. Help me understand that one. Isn't this an answer to prayer? Isn't this God saying, I've freed you, I've rescued you, now go? For those other prisoners that we have no idea what the kind of relationship with God they have, they've been in jail who knows how long and this is their one and only chance to get out. But Paul says, we are all here. And the fact that every single prisoner stayed is what saves the jailer's life, as we're gonna see in more, more than one way. So I don't have a great answer for you. I mean, we could speculate and make assumptions on how Paul and Silas got everybody to stay. I mean, and the assumptions aren't gonna matter here. What I do see though, and I think what we can rightfully assume is that there were hearts that were changed. Paul and Silas, most certainly they had a changed heart that said, you know what? We value that jailer's life more than our freedom. So we're gonna stay. Like that's a heart change. For the rest of the prisoners, there had to have been some kind of heart change to say, we're gonna do what they do. We're gonna stay here too. We're not gonna go anywhere either. So what I'm not saying is when you praise God, miracles happen. That's not what I'm saying. Praise God and you'll see an earthquake. Be a lot louder when you praise God and you'll see a much bigger miracle. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying though, is when you praise God genuinely, with a genuine heart consistently, I would say your heart will change every time. And I would even venture to say some people around you, you might start to see change. When you live your life like this and praise God above all things, people notice and people begin to change. Praising God won't change your circumstances, but it most certainly will change your heart and potentially those around you when we live our life where God is elevated above all things. I've said it before, I'm gonna say it again though. We don't praise God because we need to, because he needs to. He doesn't need to hear it. We praise God because we need it in our hearts. We need a change of heart and we see that here. Verse 29, 
The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he, he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I think it's interesting. He doesn't say, why did you stay? Sirs, why did you all stay? I think he knew what they had been preaching. They'd been talking about this around town. That's why they got in trouble. So at this point, he knows what they said is true. This whole thing about Jesus and God saving us through this band, Jesus, I believe you now. So he goes straight to the chase. He doesn't care why they stayed. He knows why. He wants to know how he can be saved. What they had, he wanted. Verse 31, so they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Notice how his heart began to be changed. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And now we get to where we started, verse 34. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household, say the word with me again, but say it like you mean it, rejoiced. They rejoiced because they all believed in God. It ends with that word rejoice. And the whole part of the story is a lot of things that don't seem to be worth rejoicing about. But when God is elevated above all things, good and bad, we always have a reason to praise him. We always have a reason to thank him. We always have a reason to celebrate him. And our lives will be different. Our hearts will be changed and people around us will notice. The jailer's life, not his just physical life, but his eternal life was changed because Paul, Silas, and a bunch of prisoners said, we'll stay. It's a lot easier to leave sometimes. It's a lot harder to stay. But as we know the end of the story, it was obvious that God was up to something. So it's a lot easy it's a lot easier at times to just run away from these things and to focus on these things and what we want now. But can we trust that God might be up to something? And we praise him for even the things we don't know and the things we don't fully understand. But we elevate him above all things, over all things, and our life will look differently. What's interesting, if you were to keep reading through the story, you know what the jailer does after this great rejoicing moment? He takes Paul and Silas back to prison. <laughs> He takes them back to prison, locks them back up again. There's a whole nother story you can keep reading about. But Paul and Silas's situation didn't change, but hearts were changed because of how they chose to live. Paul and Silas give us great insight into what the church is about, praising God and telling people about Jesus, praising God and telling people about Jesus, praising God and using those opportunities to then tell people about Jesus. But our life has to be organized in that way to praise God, to elevate him above all things, to celebrate him always, and to tell people about Jesus. You could say a lot of things about our church, talking like us here, local church Dawson, right? There's a lot of good things, a lot of bad things you could probably say about our church. If I were to give you what I hope we would all say, it would be that, man, they love to praise God and they always talk about Jesus. Man, that'd be the best thing we could ever say about our church. Well, yeah, but like, what, when, what about like during COVID when life was really hard? No, they still love to praise God and they talked a lot about Jesus. Well, what about like when they're building that expansion and all that stuff? Yeah, they still, they love to praise God and they talk a lot about Jesus. Man, I want that for our church. To always praise God, to elevate him above all things and to just talk about Jesus a lot. Because that's ultimately why we praise him. That's why he's elevated above all things. Let me end with this. First Peter chapter one, verse three says it perfectly. 
all praise to God. Not just some praise, not just a little bit of praise, not just praise when it's convenient or when it feels good. No, all praise, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with, look, great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay, talking about our eternal salvation in heaven. Look, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Verse six, so how do we practically live out our salvation? When you accept Christ, you have eternal life, but what do we do today? Verse six, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. That's why we celebrate. We don't celebrate because everything is always working the way that we plan for it. We don't celebrate and thank God because he does exactly what we want when we want it. We praise God, we celebrate him, we thank him because he is above all things. He's infinitely good, infinitely loving, and we are given eternal life, not because of any other thing, but only because of the grace that's found through Jesus. So if you wanna live your life a little bit differently, if you want people to look at you a little bit differently, start living like that because there's under no other name, we're told no other name on which we're saved other than the name of Jesus. So let's live accordingly as a church body. Things are not always gonna go the way we want. And we can walk, recognize that and we can walk through that and we can work through that together and in our relationship with God. But ultimately we praise God for who he is, period. One of the ways that we're gonna praise God and celebrate him is through communion. When you walked in this morning, you should have gotten communion. If not, we've got our guest services team. They're ready to help you out. Just maybe raise your hand and they'll, get, they'll come right over to you. Just be patient with us. Communion is a very intentional and specific opportunity that we do periodically to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. This is a great example of suffering that leads to praise. It's his suffering that happened on the cross that has given us life. So let me explain communion briefly. The cracker represents the body of Jesus. His sacrifice on the cross that took our sins away, his brokenness is what makes us whole. And so when we eat the cracker, we remember that his body was broken for us. The grape juice on the other end represents Jesus's blood. It was his blood that was shed on the cross that takes our sins away. So as we drink the grape juice, we remember what it took to take our sins away. For those of you that accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a moment to say thank you, to celebrate him over all things. For those that are still trying to figure out your relationship with him, let me encourage you to take this moment to just pray, to pray and humble yourself before him and to begin to get to a place where you can praise him and elevate him above all things. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for all that you have done. We don't wanna minimize your works in our own life, in the life of our church, throughout history. But in this moment specifically, thank you for who you are. You are loving, you are kind, you are good, you are just, you are gracious, you are faithful, and you desire a relationship with us. Sin allowed us, caused us to be separated from you. And God, you were not okay with the separation from your children. So you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, taking our sins away that allowed us to be reunited with you. But it wasn't just the sin that Jesus removed on the cross. 
His resurrection three days later is what gives us the hope of eternal life. That Jesus, you have conquered both sin and death. And because of your sin, your death and because of your resurrection, our sins are forgiven and we have the hope of eternal life. We have much to jump about, much to celebrate. So thank you for who you are to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.